Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to talk about the motherload of corporate messaging here from Sony. If you aren't sick of hearing about them, I don't blame you. This year has been nothing if not a Sony parade of statements, messaging, missteps, steps in various directions. And today, June 2nd, 2021, is no different as Herman Holst gives a question and answer session to his own corporate blog. And in case you don't think that's valuable, if you don't remember, it was actually things like blog posts that Sony successfully sold to Capcom in order to secure some of the exclusivity that they got as we looked at from that contract, assuming it's real, but it's been a long time and nobody's really disputed its realness as of this point, that these blog posts are valuable. They get out to eyeballs, along with things like advertisements on the PlayStation Network store. And if you weren't already aware, a corporate blog is very corporate. It's been just about 17 months since Herman Hulse took the reins of PlayStation Studios, the international network of world-class development studios that produce some of PlayStation's biggest hits. From Returnal and Astro's Playroom to The Last of Us Part Two, Dreams, Ratchet and Clank, Rift Apart, and much, much more. Now that list in and of itself is interesting, but I use that voice obviously because it's done in very public relations speak, which is of course they're right, and they select things that they want to highlight. Returnal, that's a PlayStation 5 exclusive. We might need to mention that right here. Astro's Playroom, that could be useful in the interview as well. Last of Us Part Two, obviously, one of our biggest selling games, won a number of Game of the Year awards last year. Not from me, but I'm just one person. Dreams, hey, we support all sorts of wild stuff. Ratchet and Clank, that's the next game. You should buy it. And of course, much, much more. But I didn't make this video just to talk about introductory paragraphs and how the PlayStation blog operates. No, I made this video to talk about significantly more. So let's dive into what Mr. Holst has to say. Now, I want to say, I will, of course, link this in the description to the video. You should check it out. He says quite a lot. It is, of course, vetted as we would expect it would be in this space for corporate speak from lawyers, from public relations people, whatever it might be. But you do see references that are designed to get a rise out of you, gamer fan, PlayStation fan, where he references things like partnerships with Kojima Productions and From Software, in case you like that Bloodborne game or Death Stranding or Metal Gear, whatever it might be. He also mentions that we have 25 titles in development. Almost half of these are new IP. The other half, they're titles that are set in franchises that PlayStation fans already know and love. So it's quite a lot. Now, why is he mentioning all this intellectual property stuff? Well, if you don't remember, if you're new to virtual legality, Sony had a number of weird statements and weird news items that talked about whether or not Sony and their behind-the-scenes players were emphasizing only blockbusters, were moving away from some of the stuff that made the PlayStation brand special in the past. I made a video here with a thumbnail called Sony's Glory Days Gone because the premise of parts of the Bloomberg article that talked about this story were about how Ben Studios didn't get a Days Gone sequel approved, how people left that studio, and other things related to it which helped us to arrive at things like Sony. We made the wrong decision about PlayStation 3 store and PlayStation Vita and things like that. And it all kind of snowballed into a series of stories that didn't show Sony in a great light. Ultimately, not horrible things, not apocalyptic things for the brand, but not a great light. And so you see in this June 2nd interview, this blog post, an attempt to kind of reconcile those things, to rehabilitate Sony's image on these points. New IP is incredibly important to us. New IP is the lifeblood of gaming, 
Okay, great, Herman. What else do you have to say? But, okay, new IP is just one aspect of our strategy. Okay. Ultimately, I want PlayStation Studios to be fiercely daring to take risks. I want us to continue to embrace the legacy of PlayStation, pushing the boundaries of gaming, keep making games that matter. Games that probably wouldn't have been made anywhere else. Now, as someone that knows a little bit about intellectual property, I would say anything that is owned by Sony and PlayStation brand companies probably won't be made anywhere else because to do so would be illegal. But if we actually pare this down in terms of messaging, it's almost jumping across different topics in a way that doesn't make any sense. So we have this story from the past where they say, Sony, you aren't going to be focusing on making new things. You're going to only focus on blockbusters. You're going to rely on all of this tentpole stuff. And we want to ask you about that because we want you to rehabilitate your image. New IP is important to us, but it's just one aspect of our strategy. Ultimately, I want PlayStation Studios to be fiercely daring and to take risks because nothing says risk-taking like saying it's separate from new intellectual property. Here, Mr. Holst appears to be referring to fiercely daring and risk-taking as embracing the legacy of PlayStation. That's the thing that immediately comes after a statement. So this reads as, sure, new IP is important, but I want to be risk-taking by making things in old IP. And hey, maybe that works for you. Maybe it doesn't, but it's a really odd answer. And it's not a great deflection from what appears to be a new Sony talking point of thrusting into older legacy items and less exploration of new things. Now, he does say we're working on 25 games, 12 of which are new IP or half, I believe, is what he says. And he then tries to rectify the Ben Studio situation. Says, hey, and you know, Ben Studio is working on a very exciting new IP that they're very, very passionate about. They're building on the deep open world systems that they developed with Days Gone, which it turns out a number of you actually like. Sorry about that. So I'm really happy for Ben Studio. So we got that story out in the news. Here's where I answer it and say, hey, Bend is great. Everybody's happy at Bend. They're making something new. I love new IP, but also I really like our legacy and we should make those things. And apparently that's daring of me to do. And you start to get an image of PlayStation kind of answering questions a little bit strangely. That's not going to stop as part of this interview set. How have teams been able to cope with the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. And here where we get some of the rubber hitting the road. So we have currently two very big, very narrative-driven games in development, Horizon Forbidden West and the next God of War. These are their two tentpole games. This is their Uncharted or their Last of Us or whatever else you want to frame out as your big Sony releases. They are currently specifically naming two of those. 25 games in development. A number of those are going to be small. A number of them are going to be live services. This is the single-player narrative-driven games that maybe don't make the best return on investment for Sony, but turn heads, get the media to look at them, get people invested in the Sony PlayStation brand. There are two of them, Horizon Forbidden West and The Next God of War. Now, going into this interview, we knew that the sequel to Horizon Zero Dawn, Horizon Forbidden West, was going to be cross-generational. And this came up under some scrutiny because Sony had said some things about cross-generational availability, which we will be talking about as part of this video. But it was cross-generational. We had heard next to nothing about God of War, which is one of the reasons why them putting a 2021 date on the original teaser trailer was met with um, a certain amount of skepticism here uh, in the Hogue Law offices and certainly elsewhere on the internet. And it is no surprise that in the very next paragraph, Mr. Hulse says, and for God of War, the project started a little later. So we've made the decision 
to push that game out to next year. Now, if we go back a little bit, we also see Sony isn't actually committing to releasing Horizon this year at all. It's not quite certain that we can hit the holiday season, and we're working as hard as we can to confirm that to you as soon as we can. In my opinion, I would assume for purposes of fans of Horizon and Sony PlayStation in general, that that game isn't going to hit the holiday season. And if it does, it's icing on the cake for you. But it seems to me like even the heads, the C-level executives at Sony PlayStation aren't really very confident that that game is going to hit that bogey, which means it's unclear what Sony is planning to release as any kind of tentpole this holiday season or really after Ratchet and Clank releases this summer. Very, very interesting. Maybe we'll learn more at Digital E3 or around it since Sony isn't participating with the ESA in that project. But right now, we don't have anything to go on. So we have a God of War that was announced for 2021. Please get excited about the PlayStation 5 not releasing in 2021. We have a same game with Horizon Forbidden West saying, please get excited for the PlayStation 5. Also, we're going to release it on the PlayStation 4. Also, we're not sure it's going to be 2021. And you start to get a feel for what we're seeing as part of this discussion. It gets a little bit worse, though, if you believed what Sony and PlayStation had said to get you in the door buying a PlayStation 5. How does PlayStation 4 factor into PlayStation Studios' development vision? Is it still a focus internally for future game development? Future game development as of summer 2021. Mr. Holst, it very much is. You can't build a community of over 110 million PS4 owners and then just walk away from it, right? I think that would be bad news for fans of PS4 and frankly, not very good business. Where it makes sense to develop a title for both PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, dash, for Horizon Forbidden West, the next God of War, which they refuse to call Ragnarok for reasons that I don't understand, and Gran Turismo 7 will continue looking at that. Now, we parse language here in virtual legality, so we can't be entirely certain that he's saying that those games are going to be cross-generational, but it certainly sounds like they are, and there's some oddballs there. First of all, they're basically the biggest tentpole games that PlayStation has. Horizon Forbidden West and God of War were just called out as the two big, very narrative-driven games in development by Herman Holst. So they are their big tentpole releases. They are now saying they aren't going to be exclusive to PlayStation 5. That means they're not going to be specifically taking advantage of any kind of PlayStation 5 architecture or features. They might add certain bells and whistles. I know folks will say, hey, you're still going to get certain things out of the PlayStation 5. You're probably going to get double the frame rate. That's what cross-generation stuff has done so far. And hey, I love 60 frames per second, but... To the extent that Sony had previously said, we want to make games that can only be done on this new generational infrastructure. That's why you should buy into this ecosystem. Well, they're putting paid to that lie right now. And that really speaks to a certain amount of not false advertising going into the generation of PlayStation 5, but advertising that was deliberately designed to obfuscate, to get people that wanted to adopt the PlayStation 5 in the door with the promise of things that would only be available on PlayStation 5, which it looks will be limited to for the first year-plus release of the console to Returnal, which is fantastic. You should check it out. It's one of my favorite games. And Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. But that's not really enough to hang an entire ecosystem's hat on. I think a lot of people had anticipated that when Sony said things about Generations, which we will take a look at, that games like their big narrative tentpoles, Horizon, God of War, and certainly their big fancy racing game that has historically been used to show off generational improvements would be exclusive to that generation. Here, Mr. Hulse says that isn't the case, which 
is maybe okay if you're Phil Spencer and Xbox who has said, hey, we don't want generations at all. We want you to be able to play on your calculator. It's a little bit different for Sony. Now, they do finish off by saying, it's also very important to have showpieces for the PlayStation 5, hence the development of Returnal and Ratchet that are exclusive to PlayStation 5. But even with the acknowledgement of those two games, it's a very different tone from what they took in the past. So let's take a look at that a little bit. And just in case anyone thinks this is just about God of War for me, I didn't actually like God of War as much as many, many, many other people did. This isn't about a delay to 2022. Finish it, get it done when it's done. This video is more about corporate messaging and the lies we tell ourselves to sell our consoles or to convince ourselves to buy those consoles. God of War was a perfectly okay game. It's a top 10 game for me in 2018, but as I think some of you have heard me say, I very much wish it had a story that didn't feel like a 30-hour prologue to a story that actually is starting. There's my shots fired. You can leave your comments to the video. But the actual folks that play Sony games aren't the ones that are just bringing this to the party, right? Sony spent a long time trying to differentiate its product from the Xbox and Phil Spencer, who had gone and said, we don't care about generations. We want you to be able to play across the Xbox ecosystem. That was by design to compete with that 110 million user base of PlayStation 4. Xbox was going to combine, consolidate, and hopefully sell you game passes. So last year, Sony went out with folks saying things like exclusive games more important than ever. Exclusive games have always been the shining beacons that attract players to an expensive new console, but arguably their role has been diminishing for at least a decade, says this uh, writer at The Guardian. And however, Simon Rudder, PlayStation's uh, executive vice president for Europe, says that for Sony, exclusive games are hugely important, more important, I think, than they've ever been. Gran Turismo 7 is going to benefit from almost every single technological enhancement that we have in PlayStation 5. The loading times will be next to nothing compared to what they have been in the past. Sitting in the cockpit, the 3D audio allows you to hear the thunderous roar of a Ferrari behind you or in front of you. And you can recognize the difference between that and the engine noise of a Maserati. Driving the car using the DualSense controller, you'll have a different feeling in your hands from the smooth, undulating tarmac of a racetrack compared to the gritty sensation on a gravel track. Pressing a soft accelerator will feel very different than pressing on a stiff brake pedal or gear pedal. Now, it should be noted that all of that can still happen in the PlayStation 5 version, particularly if it's being built for PlayStation 5 as an exclusive originally, but... Certain resources will have to go to making it function on the PlayStation 4, and not just the PlayStation 4 Pro, but in fact, the PlayStation 4 that came out in 2013. And as we saw with Cyberpunk's release that tried to straddle this line, where effectively their game could only run on next generation consoles while they sold it on old generation consoles and got into a fair bit of trouble with Sony for doing so, you can't make that mistake if you're Sony. You can't have a first party go out there and effectively Cyberpunk the release. Maybe that'll become a verb in the future. And it's worth noting these things because it takes resources to bring things to a different console, even if it's in your family of consoles. Sony had shown that they were willing to do this across certain games. We saw in December of last year, Horizon Forbidden West. It's a PlayStation exclusive, sure, but it's also coming on PlayStation 4. We saw this with other things that they were announcing the release of. We saw this with Miles Morales here, PlayStation exclusive, also available on PlayStation 4. But if we go and we click ahead to what they showed of Gran Turismo 7, they said PlayStation 5 exclusive. This is all of five months ago, 
six months ago, if we're giving full credit to June here. And that's what Sony was going out with. They were declaring to the world that Gran Turismo 7 was a PlayStation 5 exclusive. And today they appear to be walking that back, saying that Gran Turismo 7 is not a PlayStation 5 exclusive. Now, why does that kind of thing happen? Well, it happens because of the pandemic. It happens because of COVID, because when you budget out games, when you give the developers and the publishers the ability to budget out a game, especially for a cross-generational release, you are trying to pick out what your install base is going to be. It's the same kind of funnel that you think of even with a YouTube video or anything else that you might content create, where you say, okay, what's the possible universe of sales I could make? How's the marketing going to affect that? What's the demographic going to be? How many people are going to take it up at this price and this price and this price? And now I can start to project, hopefully, with some accuracy, how many copies of this game I'm going to sell, and I can give a budget based on that. It's not entirely guesswork, but there's a lot of guesswork that goes into it. But as The Verge says here, Sony expects PlayStation 5 supply issues to continue into next year. Hiroki Totoki said that it's difficult for Sony to keep up with demand for PlayStation 5, according to Bloomberg, and that the situation is likely to continue into 2022. Sony is aiming to produce at least 14.8 million PS5 consoles in the financial year beginning April 2021, so across this year and into the first quarter of next year, having sold 8 million through March 31st. So from the release of the PlayStation 5 till this March 31st, they've sold about eight. They want to have another 15 or so. They want to get that number up to 23 through 2022. And yet that might not be what they were budgeting for because this isn't demand constrained. People want PlayStation 5s, as you can see on any Twitter thread that's following PlayStation 5 availability at Walmart or Best Buy or elsewhere. It is instead supply constrained. So if they properly projected the demand for this thing, didn't anticipate a supply constraint, you have a different budget for your Gran Turismo 7s or your God of Wars going into a release of 2022. And let's be honest, I don't think anybody really ever thought God of War was going to release in 2021. And you can certainly hold Sony's feet to the fire for even putting that teaser out there that way. I think it was perhaps a little bit unfair, but also pretty obvious in its unfairness. So, you know, Corpo is going to be Corpo. So, we get this situation where Sony now has a budget pass that it doesn't anticipate. It doesn't have enough PlayStation 5s to maybe justify those things. And it's sitting on 110 million users with its PlayStation 4. And then you get answers like Herman Hull saying, well, it wouldn't even be fair to them. The problem he has is that the higher ups at PlayStation had made their marketing on a different approach. Here's the Game Industry Biz article, which you will undoubtedly see quoted and referenced across the internet today and in the weeks to come based on what Sony is putting forth now, in which it was said the following. First, Game Industry Biz, the writer speaking editorially. One way to keep PS4 users engaged would be to make upcoming PS5 games playable on the older machine, just like Microsoft is proposing with its Xbox Series X games being playable on Xbox One. Yet Ryan says that's not something PlayStation is interested in doing. Now, we have to take a step back because we're going to look at quotes now that don't exactly say that. And this is the problem with editorial, and this isn't a problem with the writer. The writer has to make these quotes go together. They're writing a story. And this kind of thing happens when I give quotes, where you have differences of transition phrases. And I think only on rare occasion have I had to say, eh, it's not really what I meant. Can you change that up a little bit? But he says Ryan isn't interested in bringing them across the generations. And he says something slightly different, but certainly PlayStation went out here with that. So what does he say? He says, we have always said that we believe in generations. We believe that when you go to all the trouble of creating a next-gen console, that it should include features and benefits that the previous generation does not include. 
and that, in our view, people should make games that can make the most of those features. And that's where we get into trouble, right? People are coming out, even in my own tweets and in my own DMs, and saying, what's the problem here? PlayStation 4 users can get it. That's fantastic. And I agree. I want the most gamers to have the best experiences possible. The problem is, is I also want games to advance. I want them to use the new power, the new resources, the new abilities that the more powerful consoles or PCs, if you're a PC gamer, have. And yeah, they can buy into that ecosystem when they have the money or the inclination, but I want to see developers and publishers get to play with those new toys. And if you go back and you have to make a game that is functional and not just functional if you're a first party, but actually pretty successful on a console that was released in 2013, you are going to naturally have certain pullback. Worse, you're going to actually expend resources getting that thing to function that could have been spent actually releasing the game on only one of your generational consoles. I don't think it's any coincidence that God of War has been announced as delayed to 2022 at the same time that's been announced as cross-platform or more specifically cross-generational. Gran Turismo 7 doesn't appear to have been cross-generational as of five months ago. And I would argue that the supply constraint on PlayStation 5s is informing Sony's decision. And they have a fiduciary duty to make the re- a proper return on investment for the budget that they spend. And I don't deny them that, but it certainly doesn't feel good to somebody that invested in the PlayStation 5 ecosystem early on. So I think most of the folks that are being nice to each other, that have reasonable minds and are differing on this point online, can have both of those opinions. And yet you still have Sony that looks very much like it spent the entire first half of 2021 either making missteps, walking back missteps, or now failing to clarify what those missteps were prior. We do believe in generations, continues Jim Ryan, and whether it's the DualSense controller, whether it's the 3D audio, whether it's the multiple ways that the SSD can be used, we are thinking that it is time to give the PlayStation community something new, something different that can really only be enjoyed on PlayStation 5. And and one could argue what we didn't realize when he was saying this quote, when he was asking for $500 of Sony PlayStation fans' money, was that he really only meant Housemarque's Returnal Game and Ratchet & Clank, at least for the first two-plus years of release of the console. And I would forgive anybody that thinks that's not really how that position reads. Similarly, in Gamasutra, we believe in generations. They sent out somebody else to talk with Jeff Keighley on IGN, who said, as we've said many times with PlayStation 5, it's a brand new generation, and we believe in generations. So we want to evolve every part of the experience. In many cases, we can't take everybody from us from previous consoles into a next-gen experience. You need new hardware. You need new devices to experience what these developers want you to experience. And Gamasutra makes the same editorial-type comment that Games Industry Biz did. That nod towards PlayStation's belief in clear generational lines seems like a slightly tongue-in-cheek comment about how Sony's next system fundamentally differs from Microsoft's upcoming Xbox Series X and its plan to release first-party titles on both the Xbox One and Xbox Series X generation for at least the next few years. And yet Sony would adopt this strategy in its entirety. It's totally up to them to adopt that strategy. But it is also fully within the rights of anybody that bought into the PlayStation ecosystem for something different. To say, you give us your $500, we're going to make sure we show you some new stuff. And now that new stuff, if it comes ever, doesn't appear to be coming very soon from at least PlayStation's big tentpole releases. Look, if you're the biggest Ratchet & Clank fan in the world, more power to you. I hope Rift Apart is just the best game ever. But... To my eye, it looks like a Ratchet and Clank game. Yep, I can see they do some warping stuff. It still looks like the similar games that we've played in the past. I will undoubtedly enjoy it. And I love Returnal. But Returnal 
basically could have been made on any system, in my opinion. It's really down to exactly how interactive the gameplay space is, and Housemark is basically the best arcade game makers that we have in 2021, and they showed that off with that release. So, yes, I'm glad it's PlayStation 5 game. It feels like it could have been really any generation game with slightly modified graphics, which leads us back to PlayStation. They just continue to make interesting statements. How does PC fit into the worldview of PlayStation Studios? I want to emphasize that PlayStation will remain the best place to play our PlayStation PlayStation Studio titles at launch. So I've highlighted at launch there because essentially what this statement is, is we're going to bring a lot of stuff to PC, but note we brought Days Gone two years later. It's about two years after the PS4 release. So we're going to give ourselves a window. And if you want to play it earlier, you should buy a PlayStation. But we also can't promise you that that PlayStation box will do anything particularly special with it because we're also going to make it interact with a system that we sold eight years ago. Also, with respect to Japanese studios, if you haven't been following this, Sony has been consolidating, has been eliminating a lot of its Japanese talent. And so it got the question, hey, do you feel that from the PlayStation Studios perspective that Japan is still a big focus for development? And this answer is, again, this kind of corporate eliding that I think strikes a lot of people as sleazy. I'm a little bit more generous about it because I see it so often. And you're trying to avoid answering the question directly because your history is that you have closed these places. You have separated philosophically and business-wise from your Japanese origins at PlayStation. And yet you have Herman Holst here say, hey, it struck me how much Japanese influence there was in the games we showcased at our PlayStation 5 showcase event from last year. And I say to myself, really? I don't really remember a lot of Japanese influence. What is he referring to? You get a couple paragraphs down and you see what he's referring to. Polyphony Digital is such an important part of the PlayStation family, making the best driving simulation games in the world. Now, Polyphony is great. Gran Turismo is great. I don't usually think of Gran Turismo as adding a particularly Japanese flavor, certainly not from the historical perspective of what PlayStation and PlayStation Studios used to be. He also references, we're building Team Asobi in Tokyo, a world-class studio that are developing a franchise for all ages with global appeal. That's Astrobot. And don't sleep on Astrobot. Astrobot is fantastic. You saw them actually reference the Astrobot playroom in the opening sentence. And that's great news that they're actually looking at a product they have and saying, wow, that's fantastic. And making a game based around it and not just putting that team on Warzone. I'm looking at you, Toys for Bob and Activision. But that isn't really what PlayStation used to be. It's one component of it. It's far removed from the puppeteer days or whatever else. You can go back further than PlayStation 3. PlayStation 4 or 2 might have been its heyday. But right now we get an answer that says, hey, I was struck by how much Japanese influence there were. We saw Astrobot and there's a team making a racing game. Okay. And then he tries to say, also... We continue to maintain and build partnerships through our external development team. We don't need the Japanese studios ourselves. We're still going to have those Japanese relationships. And if you're like me and have found yourself with a history of video games that loves Japanese role-playing games, that loves Japanese output of video games, for whatever reason, I look at the current setup and see that that Japanese flavor is massively reduced, especially with first parties like PlayStation and those relationships. And so this reads as a little bit disingenuous, although it is undoubtedly true he sees Polyphony Digital, he sees Team Asobe, and he says, that's okay. And then the final question they leave is, have we seen the last of Astrobot? He says, I hope not. And yeah, Astrobot is hit in four different places, I think, in this particular interview. So yes, they are planning an Astrobot game. That is fantastic news for everybody because Astrobot is great, Team Asobe is awesome. And yet, you still have an interview that tries to put out fires and I think probably starts a dozen more. So 
Please leave your comments to this video how you think Sony's doing. If you would have told me before this generation started that I would have more faith and trust in Phil Spencer and Xbox, I wouldn't have believed you at all. And yet, here we are. I think they're doing a better job with messaging. They don't really have any releases to compete with what Sony's doing, but they have broadened out the scope of their ecosystem to allow me to play 60 frames per second older games in a desert of new video game releases that Sony doesn't look like it is going to provide any oasis for. So 2022 might be a better year than 2021. We knew that from the pandemic. And yet Sony really isn't assuaging my fears that buying a PlayStation 5 in November of last year was a good idea at all. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoy talking about things from this analytical perspective, business and law of video games, pop culture in general, Please consider supporting the channel on Patreon, Streamlabs, buying something from the store. We could not do it without you. Or just subscribing, ringing bells, giving up votes, giving down votes, leaving comments, and most importantly, retweeting, telling your friends, putting it in forums, helping the word get out there that we're having these conversations in virtual legality. If you caught this episode on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.